We begin this edition in the birthplace of this whole pandemic. Mobile data is becoming a key tool against COVID-19 in China. Across the country, local authorities are increasingly working hand in hand with the technology provided by health tracking apps. Welcome to Enemy of the Surveillance State, where we discuss news, tips, and open source tools to help you protect your privacy in an age of mass digital surveillance. Joining me as my guest today is Michael Meharry, National Communications Director at the Tenth Amendment Center. We're going to be discussing COVID-19 and how the surveillance state is using a virus with a 98 plus percent survival rate to frighten people into accepting even more surveillance than ever before. This week on Enemy of the Surveillance State. Michael, welcome back to the show. Uh, how have you been holding up on this w- during this whole uh, lockdown coronavirus scare? Uh, we're hanging in there. You know, I got to go to the beach this weekend, so that was good. You know, uh, the we're, beach was clo- How do you close the beach? Yeah, were you rebelling? Did you just go to the beach anyhow? or uh, No, or, or did they, they- they've opened it up. And I'm not going to say that I wasn't on the beach when it was closed, but... You know, I, I'll either confirm nor deny. Yeah, you're not that, saying you were, but you're not saying you weren't. I don't exactly. blame you, brother. Uh, you know, so uh, I wanted to ask you before we get into the the meat and potatoes of this week's episode, how's your legal battle going over surveillance there in Kentucky? I see that the uh, the powers that be uh, accused you of possibly being a criminal because you dared to ask for information about what our government is doing to spy on us. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, that lawsuit has ended in in uh, less than ideal way. Uh, I'll give the quick overview Few, it's actually been two and a half years ago now that I did an open records request uh, to the Lexington, Kentucky Police Department asking for information about surveillance equipment and came to find out that they have uh, what they call mobile surveillance cameras. And uh, not altogether clear what that is, and they did not want to make that clear. And so uh, they would not release any information on those particular cameras. So uh, I did an appeal to the attorney general, which is the first step in the um, open records procedure in Kentucky. And I won that appeal. The uh, attorney general said that they needed to hand over the document. So instead of doing that, the city of Lexington filed a lawsuit against me uh, trying to block the release of these documents. And like I said, it was two and a half years ago. We went through uh, the district court level. We won there twice. We went to the court of appeals And uh, that's where the attorney for the city of Lexington inferred that anybody who wants this kind of information must have criminal intent. I mean, obviously, you know, I couldn't just want this because I'm trying to hold government officials accountable or something like that. You know, I have to be a criminal. Um, The appeals court ended up bumping it back down to the district court for more, um, uh, I guess, disclosure of of information. Long and short of it, uh, the district court has has decided that the city can indeed keep these uh, documents secret. So uh, at this point, we've decided not to appeal. It's been two and a half years. We've wasted enough time and energy 
And I happen to know what some of the information they're trying to hide is anyway, because the Lexington Police Department is really, really bad at redacting documents. <laughs> uh, I will be actually releasing that information here in the next couple of weeks. Oh, that's awesome. I'll look forward to it. I'm sorry to hear about the um, the resolution of your case not going exactly the way you had hoped. But I mean, to be to be fair, um, what did we really expect from a government that hides their surveillance capabilities and apparatus from us in the first place? Um, right. You know, and, and the whole idea that you must have or might have or should have or could have or uh, criminal intent because you just want to say, hey, but we're the people and we have a right to know what the heck is going on in our government, even if uh, you don't like that. And, 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 if, and in fact, especially if you don't like that. So you must be a criminal. And that idea is to me, uh, it goes to the pulse of the whole surveillance state thing that they are a group of, they see themselves as a group of philosopher Kings somehow above us mere mortals you know, I, I wrote an article uh, several years ago for the New American Magazine, um, and if I can find that article, I'll put a link in the show notes. But in that article, I, I drew the connection between uh, Second Amendment rights, uh, and I can't believe I used that phrase because I don't believe in <laughs> Second Amendment rights. Okay, so rights protected by the Second Amendment, right. God, God-given rights protected uh, by the Second Amendment, so the right to keep and bear arms, mm-hmm. and the right of privacy, which is at least, uh, I think it's more than implicit in several amendments, including the Fifth Amendment, including uh, the First Amendment, right. uh, including the um, Fourth Amendment. Uh, so when we look at these things, um, here's what we have. We have the very same people that are saying, uh, you can't have this very, very strong encryption to protect your data at rest or your data in motion. You can't protect your communications. You can't protect your documents because you might be a terrorist. However, we are going to lock most everything we do behind that same type of encryption. These are the very same people that decry your right and my right to keep and bear arms while they walk around all over hell's half acre protected Mm. by military escorts, state police, uh, secret service, all of whom are armed by the way. So it's more than mere hypocrisy. It's, it's evil. It's we have a right that you, the mere sheeple do not have. And I resist that notion where the second amendment is concerned. And I resist that, that notion where the first and fourth and fifth amendments are concerned. I have a right to protect my data and the surveillance state can, in my humble, but accurate opinion, go pound sand if they see it any differently. Yeah, absolutely. I agree completely. Well, I figured you would. That's why I had you on as a guest. (laughs) Right. Right. Because like, I don't know, if you're a statist, you're probably never going to be on my show. Um, So, Michael, you recently published uh, a post at the 10th Amendment Center blog, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes um, that I think addresses, because here's what happened. I had you on a few weeks ago, and we discussed the dangers of sacrificing constitutionally protected rights by even allowing the surveillance state to exist and by swallowing their excuses that this is to fight terrorism or this is to protect the children. Cause those are the only two wrappers that they ever have for these bills. It's either for the children or it's because we've got to go get those darned terrorists. Right. Okay. I'll put a link in the show notes um, to that episode as well. So any of you who haven't heard that, make it, make it a point to go back and listen to it. That was a very good episode. It's, it's had quite a number of downloads, but I'm sure there are some of you that, that missed that one or just didn't listen to it. 
Since then, though, the whole COVID-19 scaredemic has only emboldened the surveillance state to step its game up even more. I did an episode on this, but sometimes, Mike, after you hit publish, you come across something that makes you realize you're going to need to revisit a topic. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But the thing that caused me to realize I need to revisit that topic is that over the weekend or maybe right before the weekend, you published this 10th Amendment Center blog post addressing this issue, I think better than my previous episode did. So I figured I'd have you back on and we could do the episode that episode should have been. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, about your article and the material that you cover in that. You begin by saying federal, state, and local. Oh, and I, I, I don't know if I said this, but I'll put a, a link to your article in the show notes as well to that blog post. Federal, state, and local agencies have teamed up to operate a warrantless cell phone tracking program to monitor compliance with COVID-19 social distancing requirements. Um, And this is in, I think, 500 cities. Is that right, Mike? Yeah, that was reporting by the Wall Street Journal. And uh, that's what they said, that it was planned to be rolled out over 500 U.S. cities. So that's, you know, you think about it, that's pretty much blanketing all of the the major and even a lot of the minor metropolitan areas in the United States. Uh, And this is something that's being spearheaded and run by the uh, CDC. But I guarantee you that there are multiple federal agencies involved because, you know, the CDC doesn't have a surveillance network. So it has to tap into the one that already exists. So we're talking FBI, NSA, uh, you know, the, the usual, the, the full litany of, of alphabet fine. agencies. Yeah. Right. All, all exactly. the three letter guys get their, get their claws into this. And of, so, course, of course, local and state governments, which do the heavy lifting for, for the U S surveillance state. Anyway, your local cops and, and sheriff's departments with their spy gear that, you know, gather up data and then feed it into these databases and into these networks. So, you know, I, I think we probably talked about before, I, I generally do when it comes to the surveillance state, we've created this network in the United States where effectively we have a surveillance state that is this intertwined hybrid of state, local and federal agencies that operate almost as one. And we're definitely seeing that put into place here for the purpose of COVID-19. So this is the perfect opportunity. It's the uh, crisis we cannot let go to waste to invoke the famous words of Rahm Emanuel. Uh, this is a good excuse to roll these platforms out and use them on a on a massive basis for a specific purpose. And you know, I'm sure that they've been sitting licking their chops for an opportunity like this for a long time. Yeah, they couldn't have created a better one. And by the way, you know, you and I discussed before the show the wide spectrum of uh, of where people fall where COVID is concerned. So on on one extreme end of the spectrum, you've got, uh, you know, some, some well-thinking people that just say, Hey, I'm not even sure the virus exists. And then all the way on the other end of the spectrum, it's like AIDS just went airborne. You know, this is, this is that extinction level event, uh, that's going to wipe out life on the human, uh, you know, wipe out human life on the planet. Heck, most of the dogs are going to die. All that's going to be left are cockroaches. Um, and somewhere in the middle of that, Somewhere in the middle of that sits uh, Mitchell Shaw and and I think probably Michael Meharry that say, yeah, you know, um, it's bad. It's it's a really bad flu. So somebody said something to me the other day that I just thought, man, I, I couldn't shake it. I mean, it, it wasn't brand new information to me. It was just phrased in a way I'd never heard before. And his question to me was, Mitch, if back in October, November, December, early January, nobody had ever said the words coronavirus to you. What would you think was going on right now with all the people that are getting sick? 
would you think, wow, flu season this year is really bad? Yeah. In New York City. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I would think. I would think, wow, those poor New Yorkers are having a really rough uh, cold season or flu season. This is this must be some new and more virulent strain of, well, a coronavirus, you know, right. like the common cold or whatever else uh, are all within the coronavirus family. But here we are. Um, and so that sound clip I played at the beginning was from um, France 24's English version of their news channel. Uh, and the reason I chose that sound clip is because this is the kind of surveillance stuff. This is the apparatus and the heavy handed tyrannical approach that we expect somewhere like China. Right. This is not China. This is the United States of America. And by God, we've got liberty in our DNA. But I think um, it's beginning to be watered down by the machine the the scare tactics you turn on the news right now and it's it's all covid all the time my social media news feed is all covid all the time on uh, twitter and on facebook you know when i open a browser the first headlines that come up are covid this coronavirus that uh be be afraid be very very afraid i go to the grocery store and i'm the only guy there that's not dressed like I'm there to rob the place, you know, it's, and, and then I get, you know, I was actually in the bank a few weeks ago and the teller asked me why I was not wearing a mask and gloves. And I, I looked at her through the plexiglass, which, you know, in, in the bank at least was there before all of this. I looked at her and I said, huh. And just like that, being the only guy who's not dressed like he's here to rob you draws your attention to me. Six weeks ago, one of these guys would have walked in dressed like that. You'd have been smashing that button under the counter. Now I'm the weirdo because I'm not wearing a mask and gloves. Um, And if you want to wear a mask and gloves, hey, you know what? Have at that. Um, Even CDC says it's not going to protect you. So but if it makes you feel better. Do it. Fine. Seriously. Particularly if you're, you know, on a, a part of the spectrum that that creates, uh, you know, more danger for you with this. I'm not I'm not a covid denier. It's a real thing. And real people have really died from it. But my question is, with a survival rate of more than 98 percent, is this the hill on which we're willing to watch our liberties die? And my answer is no, this is not China. I feel like the vast majority of Americans answer to that question is yes. It's almost like the virus is mutating that that DNA of liberty and freedom. But, you know, we've seen this eroded away for decades. And, you know, this is another big surge, if you will, uh, that kind of follows the big surge we had after 9-11. And, you know, a lot of the surveillance state got cemented and and integrated after the terror attacks of 9-11, which were certainly horrible. But I think we had an overreaction to 9-11, just like we're having an overreaction to coronavirus. And it's always interesting to go back and look at the past. And, you know, the, the old adage, history doesn't repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. You can look at this and see reflections of what happened after 9-11. We had the Patriot Act. We had all of these surveillance and law enforcement goodies that they had been trying to get past since the 1980s. And all of a sudden, that crisis created the opportunity to pass the Patriot Act, which was nothing but a bill stuffed with literally hundreds of law enforcement um, you know, programs that they had literally been trying to get past for more than a decade. 
We're going to see the same thing now. All of these things that they couldn't get past in the last 10 years are going to be crammed into whatever the new coronavirus bill is. It's actually out there. It's a, it's a House Bill 6666, which that number won't There's be There's just an extra on. six. That's yeah, exactly. It's just an extra six. And, it was a typo. It's interesting because I was looking at it the other day, and I, I don't know if they've changed this, but at the time there was no text to this bill. It just had a summary. They what? had not even written the text. Got to pass it to see what's in it, baby. Exactly. Got to so, pass it. This is a repeat, and we're going to end up with all kinds of draconian uh, violations of our liberties, violations of the Fourth Amendment, violations of who knows what. And it's all going to be submitted in this bill because we're all scared right now. And then 10, 15 years from now, we're still going to be living under this garbage when uh, you know people start realizing that the COVID-19 thing was overhyped and, uh, yeah, it's, it's and the, used to manipulate us. It's the new normal. Uh, just like we had the new normal after 9-11. I remember when people started saying that, and I'd never heard anyone say it when I said it to my wife the first time. You know, we're watching, this is like October or November or something, and we're just kind of watching everything. And and my wife said, man, I'll be glad when things get back to normal. And I said, sweetheart, I, I think that ship has sailed. I think this is the new normal. I think surveillance and uh, an emerging police state, and I'm not anti-police. I, I'm In fact, I'm very pro-police if what we're talking about is you know, some, some local guy wearing a uniform and he shops at the same stores I shop at as kids go to the same, we we go to church together. He plays in the park with his kids across the street from my house and he's out doing his job, protecting my rights. I'm like, Hey, go blue. Like I believe in the thin blue line. I'm looking at a, a sticker on my laptop right now. That is the American flag with a thin blue line. I write uh, for the new American magazine. I write for the law enforcement charitable foundation. Uh, I'm very pro police. I'm very anti-police state. And you cannot have a full-blown police state without a surveillance state element. One cannot exist without the other. Love and marriage, love and marriage, all that stuff, right? Um, You know, you can't have one without the other, period, end of story. But um, as I'm looking at this, of course, my very first episode of this show, and if you've not heard it, uh, go back and listen to the very first episode, folks. It's called Why Surveillance Matters, Even If You Have Nothing to Hide. I'm not going to put a a link in the show notes. I want you to have to go search for that one. Maybe you'll find another episode that you haven't heard and you'll want to listen to that one too. Um, But in that episode, I I lay down the groundwork for why that is the wrong question. But I don't have anything that, well, what the the answer is, but what do you have that's worth protecting? And in this, I have to make that that comparison and say, okay, fine. You know what? One point something percent of people are are likely to die from this. That one point whatever percent, let's, let's call it 2%. I'll be generous. Uh, that 2% are, are people who are immune compromised or elderly and needed to be protected from this, the common cold, the flu, uh, whatever else might be diarrhea, you know, that they need to be protected. Um, and they need to be taking precautions to protect themselves, but making the healthy wear masks and be surveilled doesn't really combat the issue. And then we have to ask, where is this going? So, Mike, you bring up 9-11. You know, it's easy to look back 20 years now and go, oh, look it. I see where it was going now because we're here, right? So the thing is, where is this going? And uh, you said in your article, emergencies create the perfect excuse for government power to expand. The COVID-19 pandemic is no exception. The spread of coronavirus and the fear generated has opened doors to all kinds of government actions that would be intolerable in normal times. 
once established, and here's where the, the rubber meets the road, once established, these government powers never go away. In fact, the 9-11 emergency allowed the federal government to create the foundation for the surveillance state that exists today with the passage of the Patriot Act and other post-9-11 authorities. And so my question is, uh, you know, my wife and I were out uh, yesterday. I live in Richmond, Virginia, or just outside Richmond. And I see a Richmond City bus and it's got the, you know, the flashing light thing at the top, the little uh, banner or whatever it's called, marquee, you know, that would normally say Third Street or whatever. It would just, you know, the next stop or, or the, the, the termination of that route. You know, that's what would be up there. Instead, it said essential travel only. And my wife and I discussed, what the heck does that even mean? Who gets to decide what's essential? You know, maybe maybe I think going to visit my aged mother uh, is essential. Maybe I think that uh, going to church is essential. Uh, apparently, going to church is not essential, but nope. that's, that has become a separate issue. Uh, getting an abortion, however, is still essential. Absolutely. Um, that's still very essential. Um, uh, you know, going to the liquor store, the, the ABC stores, which are government owned liquor stores in the state of Virginia, because you can buy all the liquor you want here, you just have to buy it from the man. Right. Uh, they're still open. So that's apparently essential, but I don't get to go to mass because that's not essential. You can't go to the, the church of your choosing because that's not essential. But when we talk about essential travel, you know, it brings up the question, where's this going? And my wife, she's a sharp lady. She said, you know, they're not going to define it yet, yet. Uh, and I said, yeah. And when they do define it, here's what it's probably going to look like. And if this sounds crazy to you folks, read some history. Look at where this type of thing always goes. I can see us not getting in front of this. And in a few months or a year, when they finally get around to defining more of it as it meets their purposes, you're going to have to carry a document that states where you live, where you work, and the sector in which you're allowed to travel. If you need to travel outside that sector for some legitimate purpose, and of course they will get to define that, you're going to have to go and apply for a temporary pass to travel into this other sector on these particular days during these particular hours. And you're going to have to have these documents on you when you travel. Now, they won't call them travel papers because if they call them travel papers, they're going to have to wear swastikas, right? Um, but they will call them uh, you know, COVID passes or pandemic uh, passes, or th they'll come up with some really, really great sounding. They'll probably call it the USA Freedom to Travel Act or, you know, <laughs> because that's what they always do. They always misname this stuff and they're not doing it. On, it's not an accident. It's on purpose. You know, the USA Patriot Act and all it's, it's there's nothing patriotic about the Patriot Act and there there's nothing freedom about being told where you can and can't travel and what is and is not essential. Um, Mike, what, what what do you think about that? Do you think I'm I, I'm I'm way off in left field, or do you do you see the possibility that that we could wind up with travel papers if we don't get in front of this thing? Well, I say may the odds be ever in your favor. Ah. Reference a little movie reference there for people who are paying attention. Hunger Games. You know, you got to have your travel document to go over to District Twelve. Uh, yeah, that's that kind of creepy dystopian stuff that when you talk about it, people go, oh, no, that'll never happen here in the United States. And, you know, I don't know the timeline, but it's certainly possible here in the United States like it is anywhere else. And, uh, you know, I tend to think that these things are going to happen on a little bit longer timeline, but I think we are definitely heading down that road. Uh, economist Robert Higgs wrote a book called Crisis and Leviathan. 
and it's well worth reading uh, if you want a little bit more of an academic read. Basically, his premise is is that every time there's a government a crisis, that the government will ratchet up its power, it will seize more power, and when the crisis is gone, that power will have, will will lessen a little bit, but it will never go back to what it was before the crisis. So you have what he described as a ratchet effect with government power. So it ratchets up and then it eases up a little bit when the crisis passes. And then when the next crisis comes, it ratchets up some more. So eventually you have more and more government power. So I could definitely see a scenario where, you know, maybe this wave of the pandemic is is a, a distant memory. But, uh, you know, two or three years from now, we have a resurgence of Corona or we have some other, uh, you know, type of, of um, health emergency. And that's when you could definitely see something like what you're talking about, where you have these travel papers, because we've now established a certain level that we're willing to tolerate. So now it's just a little bit higher to get to that next level. Uh, government power always expands. That's the thing that people need to remember. That's why the founders of this country had a written constitution because they recognized that government power would always expand. So they wanted to put fences up. They wanted to have certain delegated powers that were allowed and everything else was not. And we're breaking down all of those barriers. And I think you're very right. People who think that the surveillance state will not be used in pernicious ways just need to look back at their history. Go back to the 1960s when the anti-war movement was surveilled or Martin Luther King was surveilled. Uh, if you don't like them, it wasn't that long ago that I'm very certain that the Tea Party was being surveilled. Uh, and, you know, the IRS was turned against folks that were that were in that movement. Absolutely. Uh, very well long, documented. Right. How long is it going to be until, you know, they're tracking you to the gun store because they've uh, imposed some kind of gun control? And so, uh, you know, going to the gun control, going to the gun store was not going to be a uh, an essential trip. So yeah, there's all kinds of ways that this stuff can go bad. And anybody who trusted, oh no, the government won't do that, just needs to look back at history. Once these things are in place, they always end up being used for some tyrannical purpose down the road at some point. Might not happen today, might not happen tomorrow, but when you put it in place, when you put that temptation there, it's going to come to pass at some point. And as we've seen over the last decades, government is getting bigger and bigger. Our rights are getting more and more trampled upon. And it's only a matter of time before they say, well, you know, if you're traveling, you're going to kill grandma. So, so we can't let this happen. And we have the mechanism in place with the surveillance state, uh, with the national police state that is in place now and can be used to crack down whenever, uh, you know, whenever it's necessary. So yeah, it's very dangerous as if they care about grandma anyway, as if, as if suddenly the, the machinery is, uh, has found its pro-life roots or something like they care about life anyway. Uh, you know, and, and, and that brings up an interesting point. You know, I'm looking at particularly so many people on the left, uh, that are, you know, stay home, save lives, wear your masks. You know, it's about saving lives, saving lives, saving lives. And, it's like, I want to, I want to sit down over a cup of coffee or something stronger than a cup of coffee with someone from the left and say, Hey, wait a second. Um, the same government that you say is systemically racist, the same government that you keep saying is systemically evil. And we need to burn that MF to the ground and, you know, rise up and power to the people and all that. All of a sudden 
you completely trust them to tell you where you can go and you can't go to your job, but that's okay because they're going to send you money in the mailbox or just drop a few thousand dollars, a couple of thousand dollars into your checking account. And for, you know, $1,200, you're willing to to bow down to the government that you've been telling me for as long as I've known you is systemically evil. Right. Uh, but, you know, you know, your statist roots are showing through. Right. Uh, you know, leftist. 20 minutes, 20 minutes ago, the left was telling us that Trump was literally Hitler. And now they're mad because he's not exercising enough executive authority. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, the the question could be, and, and, and this isn't about, I, I, I imagine you and I are pretty, um, probably close to the same page where Donald Trump is concerned. Uh, I don't think he's the second coming of Christ and I don't think he's the antichrist. He's, he's somewhere in between, right? Like all of us. Um, but it is interesting to me that if, uh, if Donald Trump is on, you know, if he says a, they all have to say Z, they have to get as, as polar far apart from him as they possibly can on anything. And so, now the left that has spent all of this time decrying the the powers of the federal government, except where things like welfare are concerned, uh, and you know protecting abortion and, and and a woman's ability to to kill her child, uh, except for those things, the left has been very very anti-government. They come from some very anti-government roots, but now all of a sudden their statism is showing through because they right. can't take the same side that Donald Trump is taking on anything. If Donald Trump said that you need to drink water, they would all die of thirst. It, it's Just sad. The show politics is dumb. Oh yeah, we're we're more we're more divided right now than I've ever seen us. So back back to this whole surveillance apparatus and the way they're going to track us using smartphones. One of the things that they've all reported uh, that these these sources, these unnamed sources, and I typically. Um, I typically kind of frown at unnamed sources. I, I, I've been writing for several years now and on two occasions, I've not been able to name a source, uh, because they asked me very specifically not to do that for their own protection. Uh, one was when I was writing an article about the transgender bathroom situation at target and, and all of that stuff. And one young girl, she was 16 years old. She had her parents permission to talk to me, but she asked that I use a false name to describe her in, in the article so that, um, um, no one would know who she was because she she was going to express her fears and concerns about that. And I wanted to give her a voice to do that. So I protected her identity by uh, giving her a false name and, and saying in the article that wasn't her real name. I was very honest about it. Right. But so we've got these unnamed sources that are coming out and saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's what's going to happen. But we're going to anonymize the data. Like right. no one's going to be able to say this was Joe Smith. Um you 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 get into that because you quote the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, right. uh, in your blog post. Talk a little bit about the ridiculous idea that we can anonymize this type of data. Yeah, location data, you know, I actually read an article. This has been a couple of years ago, but it actually took some location data and they showed just how much you can find out about a person by just tracing where that individual has been. Uh, the places you go reveal who you are, uh, starting with your house, right? The idea that they can take this location data and anonymize it permanently is absurd. Once they have that data, and they're going to keep that data, make no mistake about it, all of this is going to get stored in these massive databases. Once that data exists, they can access it at any time, and they can make it not anonymous anytime that they want to. As long as they have the data at their fingertips, 
there is no way that you can be guaranteed that they're not going to go back and use it to actually identify people. And you can already look, they're, they're using this COVID-19 tracking already in other countries, China, and even in Europe to some degree, to track down people. In China, they weld you into your apartment. Um, so the idea that, oh, this will never be used to identify individuals is absurd. It's very easy, given location data, to figure out who somebody is, where they're going, and what they're doing. And once we set the precedent that you can do that because we have to be safe, again, it's going to get expanded to other, other things uh, to keep us safe from the gun buyers, to keep us safe from uh, the anti-war protester or whoever it may be. Uh, we had talked about this off air. Once a group of people is deemed to be the enemy, the government is going to use all of the tools at their disposal to go after that quote unquote enemy. And there's no guarantee that you're not going to be the enemy. If you're somebody that believes in the right to keep and bear arms, at some point, the government's going to, uh, to view you as the enemy. Uh, it was Glenn Grinwald. He did a great, uh, video. It was a TED Talk. It's been a couple of years ago on privacy and the idea of surveillance. And he made a really good point that the government doesn't view bad guys in the same way that we do. You know, we view a bad guy as somebody who might uh, might be a pedophile that's that's uh, doing child porn or, you know, somebody that's robbing banks or somebody that's going to murder somebody. That's our idea of a bad guy. The government's idea of a bad guy is anybody that challenges their authority and their power. Well, that's certainly me. I'm a bad guy, according to the government. So we have to be very careful about what we allow the government to keep and collect on us because it might be used for a good thing today. You can't guarantee that it's going to be used for a good thing tomorrow. Well, the sad thing is this one's not even being used for a good thing today. Oh, no, <laughs> so that's true. This one started I mean, off there, bad. There are certainly those that perceive this. As no, no, no. Absolutely. So from 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 somebody's perspective, some individual out there may have a perspective of, oh, but we need to do this because we need to save lives. We need to protect the elderly. We need to fill in the blank. Um, but as you point out, it's not going to stay that way. It never, ever does. Uh, look at look at the Patriot Act and how it's been misused and abused with federal agents tracking uh, their neighbors just out of curiosity or tracking, you know, there's, there's even, so in, in the intelligence world, there are all these acronyms and little shortened phrases like they refer to SIGINT for signals intelligence. Uh, then there's LOVENT, L-O-V-E-I-N-T. Do a Google search for, well, not Google, DuckDuckGo that one. Right. Uh, do a DuckDuckGo search for LoveInt. And what you're going to find out is that there has been a one scandal after another of NSA agents, FBI agents, CIA agents checking on their wives, their girlfriends, their husbands, their, their, their partners, I think is the correct term to use today, partners. Um, and, you know, just to see like, hey, you know, where's, where's he going? Where's she going? And so back to this about, uh, you know, how location data absolutely can be used to identify a person in that previous article or previous episode of this show that I did. Um, I, I point out that if you spend the hours between uh, nine in the evening and six in the morning at a certain location, seven days a week, I don't have to be Kreskin, the mind reader to figure out you live there. Right. And if I know from property records that one female lives there 
And I know from your location data from your phone that you typically go to places women go to, like, I don't know, women's bathrooms at parks or uh, women's clothing stores or uh, a yoga place that specializes only in women. It's a women's yoga studio. Uh, I can figure out that you are the one woman that lives there and your name is Jane Smith. And now I know everywhere you've been. And because of the location data of people around you, I know who you've been with. This is not, this doesn't even require that much intelligence. You don't have to be that smart to figure this out. You've got enough data points. It just tells its own story. And it's not even a human being sitting and figuring this stuff out, by the way, folks. It's an algorithm. This is just a math equation. It's just asking if two plus two equals four. And if the answer is yes, your name is Jane Smith. Yeah. And, you know, you can actually get more information from location data about a person than you can get from reading their emails or looking at their web browsing history or even listening to phone calls. Location data tells you everything you need to know about a person, their health situation, you know, like you said, their gender, their political affiliations, uh, their religious affiliations, you know, whether or not they're sick. All of these things can be determined by where you go. It's extremely intrusive and we don't tend to think of it that way. But I would rather have if you gave me a choice and said, Mike, you can either let the NSA look at all your emails or let them track all of your location. I'm going to take them looking at my emails every day and twice on Sunday before I let them track my data or put my location. Yeah, I, I agree. But I think that, and I understand you're saying if you were forced in that, said, you know, one of those right. gun at your head situations. Well, that, no, and obviously I don't, I don't want them to have any of that right. information. Because the I'm right answer saying, is leave all my data alone. That's yeah. my data. Leave it alone. So going back to the bad guys before we move on, um, you know, if we just look down through history here, you know, here's how things play out. Like, who are the bad guys? Well, the bad guys are those darned Protestants. No, no, the bad guys are those darned Catholics. No, the bad guys are the Jews. Uh, Muslims. No, not. Well, it might be the Muslims, but it's it's you know, it's probably also the Jews. And so who are the bad guys? Right. Who are the bad guys? The bad guys uh, are a matter of perspective. The bad guy is whoever is challenging the the authority right here, right now. That's the bad guy, because you are the bad guy, Mike. The good news is your your last name is so hard to spell. I'm sure they spelled it wrong on their stupid list or they've spelled it three different ways and and they can't always tie that data together because they're good. But man, your name is tricky. Yeah, but, but there's not many of us. There's not. Oh, many that's areas. true, too. That's true, yeah. too. Okay. I always tell my kids that I'm sorry I cursed them with that last name. They're probably on the list too. Well, I, I go by my middle name. My middle name is Mitchell, uh, and right. I, I I professionally bill myself as C Mitchell Shaw. Most most everybody just calls me Mitchell or Mitch. My given name is Carey, C A R E Y. Um, and I was three days old. I was named after my father. I was three days old before my mom won that argument and tagged me with that name. I, I was nameless for three days because my dad was like, don't do it. He's going to fight his whole life over that name, <laughs> a boy named Sue. And if you don't know a boy named Sue, do a, do an internet search for that. It was a great, great, funny Absolutely. song by the man in black. It's uh, it, and I, I lived that all through school. Uh, one of the best lines in the song is. A girl would snicker and I'd turn red. A guy would laugh and I'd bust his head. I'll tell you, life's sure hard for a boy named Sue. Yeah. Um, but there, there you go. So you know, there. But now I've, I've announced my real name. Who I de-anonymized myself as if. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so geofencing. Uh, you address geofencing uh, in your blog post, and I did not address that in the previous episode. So let's talk a little bit about how geofencing works, Mike. Yeah. Well, interestingly, they've actually rolled this out and and used it 
for the coronavirus pandemic, particularly in Utah. So basically, geofencing is identifying everybody that enters into a given area. Uh, it can be circumscribed to be during a given period of time or as they were doing in Utah. Basically, they just created this, quote, geofence, an electronic fence, that as soon as your vehicle entered into the state of Utah, it uh, pinged your phone and you received a text message telling you uh, that you needed to register the fact that you had entered into the state and you know fill out your health questionnaire, et cetera, et cetera. So they were using everybody's phone, because everybody has one, to basically locate them as they entered into the state. Geofencing has been used for uh, criminal investigations as well, where police will get a warrant and actually identify every electronic device that was in a given area, you know, say within two, two miles of a crime, and they'll get every person that was in there, and then they can sift through it and see if any of those people might be suspicious. You know, they might be able to be suspects obviously completely violates the idea of, of probable cause or you know specificity in a warrant. Um, so it's a very pernicious, very invasive way that uh, government officials can track who is entering into, leaving, or just happens to be in a given area at a given time. And again, this coronavirus has been the perfect excuse to essentially create an electronic border of a state. Now, it's kind of funny because it didn't work very well because people that actually lived in that area were getting their phones pinged over and over again by the by the geofence. Uh, so they ended up having to shut it down. But, you know, obviously a, another experiment and it'll be rolled out again and they'll they'll refine it. They'll and- work out the bugs. Exactly. They have so, to protect us from ourselves. Yes. And then so just another example of the way that the that government can use your electronic devices uh, when they're allowed to operate with no warrants and no restraints. Uh, they can use it to track you down, fence you in and make sure that they know where you are at any given time. It's, yeah. It's and and so perhaps perhaps then I need to amend my my earlier dire prediction about travel papers. It won't be papers. It'll be your mobile device. Right. Uh, you won't carry a document. Uh, they'll just uh, insert a line of code into an app that you have to have on your phone yep. that'll show all of that. And it won't be or the hardware of the phone itself or the hardware of the phone itself. That's right. Uh, and so talking about hardware and phones, this brings up like um, cell site simulators, uh, mm-hmm. commonly known as Stingrays, because that's the most common and popular brand that police agencies use. And you remarked earlier, Mike, about the. Uh, I don't think you use the word incestuous, but I will. The incestuous relationship between local, state, and federal police uh, in bringing about this surveillance state because the feds can't do this on their own. So uh, as an aside, I'm just going to go here. Um, uh, You know, there are people today that are advocating for what they will call a convention of states or an Article 5 convention to amend the Constitution through the convention process. And if you call that a modern day constitutional convention, they look at you like you're retarded. Um, But the reality is they all say, well, the states will be in control. The states will have control of this. Are these the same states that right now are locking you down at home and telling you you can't leave? Those states, those state legislatures, those are the ones that are going to protect us from a runaway convention. Convention of states is a horrible idea. They bill it as a solution as big as the problem. I call it a solution far worse than the problem. It's like saying, oh, I have the common cold, so I'm going to get injected with AIDS and let it fight off the common cold. Thanks anyway. I'll take a pass. Right. But there's my non-surveillance state rant. Uh, Let's get back to this. So stingrays. Um, 
you know, these local police departments uh, have this device that is usually about the size of a briefcase. Sometimes it's installed in the car. Sometimes it's completely mobile. They could just throw it back and forth from vehicle to vehicle. And it, they drive around with this thing or they have it set up in a, in a central location, a static location where it ga- it grabs all of the cell phone data because it acts as a cell site, as a cell site simulator. So it looks like a cell tower to your phone and your phone is designed to grab the nearest tower. So you always have the strongest signal so you don't lose a call or, you know, you can browse the web or send an email or, or a text or whatever. So you lock into this thing. It pretends to be a cell tower. It grabs your data, sends it to the cell tower and hangs onto it in the process. And then the the data coming back from the cell tower goes back through the cell site simulator before it gets to your phone. And by doing this, they're able to grab uh, data location or, or location data. I'm sorry. They're able to grab uh, the operating system that you're running on your phone, your phone number. So they know your name. They know who you are. Uh, they can see the, the text that you send. They can see the emails that you send. They can see your browsing history. They can actually grab the content of the phone call, not just the metadata. And I say just the metadata, and I'm on the same page you are. Metadata actually tells a lot more than the data itself. Uh, and, and I've covered that in a previous episode, that very first episode, Why Surveillance Matters, Even If You Have Nothing to Hide. So make sure you, you listen to that if you haven't already. Um, but you, you've, you've run across a, a lot of information about these cell site simulators, these stingrays, uh, Mike. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, it's one of the uh, major surveillance programs that we have focused on at the Tenth Amendment Center uh, in trying to limit them just simply by requiring warrants for the use of these devices. Amazingly, uh, police departments are often purchasing and utilizing these very intrusive devices that basically uh, can get every bit of data off of your phone. Not only that, they can listen in on your phone calls. They're able to deploy these things without even having warrants. And uh, interestingly, where you really start to see this uh, metamorphosis and and kind of oozing together of your state, local, and federal police, oftentimes it's the federal government that's funding local law enforcement uh, purchase of these devices. Under a gag order. I I was getting ready to say, exactly. uh, The FBI actually requires uh, local police departments that are getting stingrays to uh, file non-disclosure agreement, sign those. And they've actually like ended prosecutions oh, yeah. in order not to have to reveal information about these Stingray devices. Uh, so they're very, very uh, dangerous pieces of equipment when it comes to being able to spy on you, being able to violate the Fourth Amendment with impunity. And like I said, they're oftentimes being operated without even having any warrant requirements. So one of the things that we're doing at the 10th Amendment Center, just as a first step, just as a way to uh, to create some speed bumps in the surveillance state, is to push for uh, state-level warrant requirements for the use of Stingray devices. Uh, probably the, the state that has the best law on Stingrays is the state of Illinois. They require warrants for location tracking, and they actually ban uh, any kind of uh, actual interfacing with the phone to get information or listen to phone calls. So Illinois has the best laws, but like I said, many states have no warrant requirements or limits on these things at all. And this is this is typical. <clears throat> and this is why it's so important uh, to work at the state level to make sure that these devices, Stingray devices, license plate readers, drones, all of these things, that the technology that can be used 
facial recognition, that all of these things are limited because when you limit it, limit them at the state and local level, then you limit the amount of data that can be collected that can be pushed into all of these big, huge national databases. And that at least, like I said, throws some speed bumps into the evolution of the surveillance state. Require warrants. Don't let them save the data. Don't let them store this stuff forever and and try to keep the uh, data from piling up because it's the accumulation of data over time that really gets pernicious. You know, it's having your location over a month or two where they can go back and, and backtrace it. That's where it gets really dangerous. So, once they get this stuff, it cannot should not be stored, and uh, there should always be warrant requirements. It just seems like a given. Absolutely. For anyone who's not read Ed Snowden's book, I, I recommend it. Uh, in fact, I almost required if you're going to continue listening to this program. <laughs> um, no, it's called Permanent Record, and it's yeah. called Permanent Record for a reason. He talks about um, several things, but one of the big things he talks about is the the ability and the practice of storing this data in perpetuity. Uh, we are fooling ourselves if we think that after this COVID-19 thing comes and goes and blows over and is so much dust in the wind that they're just going to go back through and delete all those data points. Not they're simply, happen. they have essentially limitless data uh, storage capabilities. And if they need more because they start to overwhelm that, which isn't going to happen anytime very, very soon, uh, they'll just build new servers. This is, it's not difficult for them. They've got these shadowy budgets. They can do whatever they want to do with the money. Uh, and what they're doing with the money is building these huge data centers that could store all of the information available on every human on the planet forever and ever and ever. And they are doing it. Ed Snowden, uh, talks about in his book, uh, he talks about a slideshow presentation that he saw uh, from some CIA guy, or I think it was either CIA or NSA. Uh, but the guy actually just says, um, you know, we're we're storing this information forever. It's never going anywhere. Uh, so that is a reality. And that's where we are. So, you know, when we look at this, what we have to be thinking about is what steps can we take as enemies of the surveillance state? Because the listeners to this program uh, the show is called Enemy of the Surveillance State, but you all, by listening to this program, by putting into practice the things that I talk about on this podcast and my guests talk about on this podcast, you are the true enemies of the surveillance state because until all of our data is free, none of our data is free, okay? Until none of us are being surveilled, all of us are being surveilled. We are all in this together to kind of, uh, I'm going to steal that whole coronavirus. <laughs> We're all in this together. My wife, uh, for those of you who haven't seen um, the uh, the Incredibles and the Incredibles 2, uh, spoiler alert, if you've not seen Incredibles 2, skip ahead. Uh, there's a scene where all of the superheroes are forced to wear these goggles that slave uh, screen slaver has put on them to control their minds. Uh, and my wife thought it'd be great to take a screenshot of that with all of them wearing it. And the caption at the bottom would say, we're all in this together. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, cause instead of masks, they're wearing these goggles that control their minds. Right. Uh, and coronavirus is uh, being used to do that. And if you have fallen for that, you're only so much to blame for believing a liar. You're not, you didn't tell the lie. You didn't create this. You just fell for it. And we all fall for things. I voted for George W. Bush in 2000. Okay. So Me we, too. we all fall for things and, and then we figure it out. Um, so the steps that you can take, uh, Mike, I've got some suggestions, but I want to hear, uh, steps that you think people can take to protect their privacy before I get into that. Well, I think you probably are going to have some, some better mm. and more focused, 
personal things that we can do in terms of you know protecting our own data and, and limiting the amount of data that we're allowing to float out there into the into the grand world of cyberspace. I'll focus a little bit on what we can do from a political standpoint, and I've already kind of touched on that. I think it is extremely important important that we take the steps necessary to put limits as much as we can on the expansion of the surveillance state in where it already exists. So again, focusing on these technologies, particularly the really invasive ones, license plate readers, stingray devices, drones, um, facial recognition, all of these things <clears throat> can be limited at the state and local level simply by requiring warrant requirements or in places where it's politically feasible, even banning them altogether. There are a number of cities that have banned facial recognition. So this is something that's possible. The less collection of data that we have, the less data that there is to store, the more likely uh, it is for the powers that be run into problems as they're trying to develop these databases. So that's really big focus at the 10th Amendment Center. Uh, warrant requirements and data retention limits on all types of surveillance technology. And if you go to 10thamendmentcenter.com, uh, you can follow what we're doing over at 10th Amendment Center's blog, and you can see exactly how we're pushing back against the surveillance state in these uh, very localized and <clears throat> some might say limited ways. But when you have an integrated system, when you can place roadblocks in that system, it makes it much more difficult for the uh, the whole thing to operate. So I think that's the that's the number one step. And then uh, I'm sure that you can touch on some things that we can do as individuals to limit, uh, you know, our own data footprint out there. Oh, you're exactly right, Mike, because, you know, one of the things that I've said from the beginning, and I'm going to keep saying it, is that the problems that we're facing with the surveillance state are both political problems and technological problems. Right. And so they require that two pronged approach for a solution. You've got to be able to address this from a political perspective. We've got to be able to go to our legislators. We've got to be able to demand our rights. We've got to. And if you're not doing that, you've got to do that. Like that is minimum wage uh patriotism like you have to fight back against the machine that means to enslave you and that doesn't have to be in fact should almost never be violent or militant uh, right. i want to see the surveillance state burned to the ground but i want it to be done in a way that uh, assures our rights moving forward not through some kind of revolution or revolt or uh, because heck who wins that you know and then in the end what do we get because you know we always move uh, historically, we have always moved from uh, tyranny to anarchy to tyranny. Um, so that's just the way that works. And so instead, uh, we need to be fighting this through the system that is in place. And there are ways to do that. You can do that with your vote. You can do that with uh, social media. You can you get the word out. Uh, on that point, before I get into my, uh, my recommendations, uh, remember, folks, that um, friends don't let friends get spied on. So right. if you're listening to this show, God bless you and thank you for that. But you've got friends that aren't listening to this show. You've got friends that don't know what they can be doing. They don't even know how deep the rabbit hole goes, uh, much less what they can do to solve that. So make sure you are sharing this program with your friends. Share it on social media. Talk to people about it at work. Uh, talk to people about it at church if you ever get to go back to church. Uh, talk to your friends and family. Share it every way you can. Send out emails. Right now, off the top of your head, you could probably think of two or three people that think enough the way you and I think 
that don't know about this program, share it with them because friends don't let friends get spied on. This show is listener supported. I don't do ads. I don't compromise. And that is so that if I recommend a tool, which I'm about to recommend some things, if I recommend a tool, if I recommend a piece of software, you know that the person who put out that tool or that software didn't pay me to say that. I'm saying it because I use it and I trust it because no one is paying me to say this. I am listener supported for that reason. And that was a tough decision to make because it does require something to put together a show like this. And the time that I take away from this is time that I'm not spending earning a living for my family. So I need to be able to monetize this just to be a greedy capitalist pig. I'll be that honest with you. Okay. So the greedy capitalist pig in me wants to be able to feed his wife and children and keep a roof over their heads, but I need to do this program too. It's why I ask listeners to support me through Patreon. I am going to put a link in the show notes. I've also got a a great line of merchandise, coffee cups, t-shirts, hoodies. It's getting a little warm for hoodies. Probably won't move any of those anytime soon. But hey, if you're in the Arctic or something, you want to pick up a hoodie, I've got those. Uh, I'll put a link for my Teespring account in in the show notes as well. So if you want to pick up some cool merch and kind of show everybody that you're an enemy of the surveillance state, and as far as you're concerned, the enemy, uh, the surveillance state itself can just go pound sand. That'll all be down there. Now, if you're locked home, I've said this since the beginning of all of this. If you're locked down at home because of COVID, you don't have a paycheck coming in. Do not support me financially. I don't want that. Okay. If you're independently wealthy or you worked from home before all of this started and you want to support, there'll be a link in the show notes. Please feel free to do that. I'd appreciate it a great deal. It makes this show possible. Um, but if you're locked down at home and you can't do that, you can still share the show. You can still go to, you know, iTunes or whatever and give me a great review that helps other people find the show. You know, share links and like pot, you know, like the uh, the episodes and be sure to subscribe. If you haven't subscribed, it doesn't cost a dime to subscribe. You click a button and then you get a notification for every new episode. So there's my commercial. We're all done. Let's get back into this. What what can you do to protect your privacy during all of this shy of leaving your phone at home, which guess what, guys, it's not going to happen. You're not going to leave your phone at home. Uh, I, I walk out of the door without my house. I was born in 1970, right? I walk out, I walk out the door now without a phone in my pocket and I will turn around three miles from home and come and get my phone because I might, who know who knows what might happen. I, I can't be in communications with people. You're not going to do it. You're not going to leave your phone at home, but you can turn off your, your, uh, location, uh, data on there. Now the cell towers can still figure out, they can still triangulate you. They still have a pretty good idea where you are. Uh, but you can turn that off. Uh, you can install a VPN. Uh, I talked about a VPN in a previous episode. Proton VPN is the one I use. I recommend it. They don't pay me to say that. Like I say, listener supported, not ad supported. Uh, but proton VPN is great. And they've got a client for Android and they've got a client for iPhone so that all of your data now, instead of going straight to the cell tower is encrypted. It goes to the cell tower through a VPN tunnel and your, your stuff is protected. Uh, I would recommend, uh, encrypted apps like signal for texting, like proton mail for email. Uh, I can mention some others. Um, there's some great, in fact, there's For Android, if you have rooted your Android phone, and if you don't know what that is, go find a guy with tape on his glasses and ask him. He'll explain it to you. Uh, And if you could see this right now, I've got tape literally on my glasses because I need to replace them. Um, But go find some guy that, you know, has tape on his glasses or has, uh, you know, binary code on his T-shirt. He'll explain rooting your phone for you. If your phone is rooted, if you've got a rooted Android phone, there are some apps that you can install that will actually just spoof your GPS location. Uh, Right now, my phone thinks it is in South America, (laughs) which I think is just awesome because who cares? Um, And so I occasionally get really weird geocentric texts that make no sense, but there you go. I don't really care. 
Um, and so those are some things that you can do while you're also implementing Mike's solution to just pester your state legislators and your congressmen and your senators, pester them to death. They ought to know your phone number when it comes up on caller ID. They ought to recognize your email address when they open their email box. And hey, guess what? Yeah, I said email box, like I'm 50 or something, but whatever. Okay. When they check it on their email machine, but, and then, you know, people still do fax, like it's 1873 or something. So you're going to have to pay for this, but go down to to, you know, office max or office depot or someplace where they'll, you know, for 25 cents, they'll let you send a page of a, of a fax, fax your congressman. That'll get his attention. I mean, it, it's that or a homing pigeon, but it's something kind of off the grid. It will stand out. Uh, I'm not saying that if one or two of us do this, it'll make a difference. I'm saying if one or two million of us do this, it makes a difference because yep. every politician's first job, the moment he is elected, is to lick his finger and stick it in the air to see which way the wind is blowing so that he can get reelected. Job number one is to keep his seat. Do not ever think job number one is you. He doesn't care about you. Even the good ones, the good ones care about staying in that seat. So make them realize that to stay in that seat, They've got to care about you. Uh, Mike, I'm going to close on that note because I think I've said everything worth saying. Uh, did you want to say anything on the rollout? No, I think you hit it. I will reemphasize what you said about you know the impact that you can have, particularly on your state legislators, your state senator, or your local council members. Those folks are a lot more prone to feel public pressure than your congressman is. Uh you can call a state rep and have a tremendous amount of impact because they don't get a lot of phone calls about issues. I actually had a state rep in Kentucky tell me once that he had gone through entire legislative sessions without ever hearing from a constituent on a particular piece of legislation that was going through the process. So you imagine if 20 or 30 people called him about a single bill. That would make quite an impression. So don't think that just because you know, you're just one person that you're not going to make a difference. Those phone calls make a huge difference, especially when you drill down to your state level and your local level. So I uh, really encourage people to do that. I agree with what, uh, what Mitch said. That is you know, being a good citizen 101, if you will. Uh, that is how we make change. We're not going to make <clears throat> change just sitting at home doing nothing. So yeah, I'll reemphasize that. And uh, again, Hope people go over to 10th Amendment Center.com and, and look at what we're doing. Surveillance is one of the uh, primary policy areas that we've been involved in over the last several years and something that we will continue to focus on going into the future because we think it's that important. And we really believe that one of the best ways to thwart the federal surveillance state, this egregious violations of the Fourth Amendment is to work at the state and local level. And if you go to 10th Amendment Center.com, you can see just how we're doing that. Absolutely. Mike, thank you. I want to say this to everybody. So when I first started this show, of course, you know, I, I don't do just an interview based show. I, I don't have a co-host. Sometimes I'm, I'm flying solo and sometimes I have guests. So I was looking for guests, right? Like you got to, you have to have guests because I'm only so much of an expert. I'm only so much of an authority. Thank you all for listening to me, but see, I know me. Uh, and <laughs> so, uh, I reached out to the 10th amendment center and within hours, within hours, I heard back from Michael Meharry to say, yes, I'll be a guest on your show, your brand new show that has like a dozen listeners or whatever. And you know, now we've grown guys. I, you know, I get, uh, we're, we're creeping up on, um, Oh, I forget now I'm creeping right up on 2000 downloads. The show's been out a little over three months. Great. You know, it's, 
I'm very, very, very happy uh, with the response that I've gotten. And all of the response has been positive. You all give me great reviews. Uh, I get social media uh, messages all the time. Hey, Mitch, thanks for doing what you're doing. Thanks for being a voice for those of us who care about this. So I'm going to reflect back on something Mike said in the outro here. Uh, You said, Mike, that don't think that just because you're just one person, you can't make a difference. Here's the deal. You are one person. I'm not talking to everybody right now. I'm talking to you, that one person out there listening to this right this moment. You are one person, but that one person you are is an enemy of the surveillance state and Mm -hmm. you can make a difference. God bless you, Mike. God bless what you're doing for with the 10th Amendment Center. I pray for you guys often. I'll put a link to the show notes, how people can find your blog post. That, from the blog post, folks, you can hop over, just hit the homepage or whatever. Check out what 10th Amendment Center is up to. These guys are the real deal. They are standing up for people's rights through the 10th Amendment, which essentially says that if Congress doesn't have the authority to do it listed anywhere else, it's none of their business. Leave it the heck alone. It belongs to the people or the states. So God bless you. And we'll see you next week on Enemy of the Surveillance State. 